Hi there, and welcome to the Engage MarTech podcast. Research shows the marketing function is playing an increasingly important role within the organization, as advances in marketing technology enable greater customer understanding and insight, allowing organizations to increasingly personalize and tailor their offering to ever more demanding and proactive customers. For over a decade, we've helped some of the world's biggest brands engage, understand, and consistently deliver on the expectations of their customers through our industry-leading conferences and online digital media. Find out more, visit engagemartech.com. Today, our podcast host, Rachel Aldeguiri, is joined by Francesco Federico, Director of Global Marketing at JLL. Francesco has held several leadership positions as CMO and CDO at leading Fortune 200 companies across different industries and has lived and worked in Europe, Asia and the US, building and motivating large, high-performing multinational teams. Entrepreneur turned corporate innovator, modern marketing and technology leader, Francesco has dedicated his career to helping brands at their inflection points by driving sustainable business transformation programs focused on customer and business outcomes. Born and bred in Milan, Francesco now lives in West London, having previously worked and lived in Taiwan, Switzerland and Italy. Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Rachel Laguerre. I'm the Managing Director of the Data and Marketing Association, so the trade body that sets the standards for data and marketing. And I am joined by Francesco Federico, um, so two Italians on one call, which is is that too many, Francesco? Who knows? Anyway, um, we had um, I had the pleasure of talking to Francesco at the recent Future of Martech um, event. It was a short conversation there. We had to pack in a lot, didn't we? So really delighted to be chatting again um, to build on some of that conversation, revisit some of those themes. Um, I don't know, Francesco, first up, if you, you want to introduce yourself. And, and I know previously when we spoke, talk a little bit more um, about your role at JLL, because I think JLL is a brand that lots of people are familiar with, but not completely sure probably um, what goes on. So it'd be good perhaps to start there in terms of your role and the organization that you work for. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Rachel. It's great to be to be on the podcast. Uh, so I'm Francesco Federico. As you said, I'm originally from uh, Milan, Italy, although I've been uh, here in London for many years now. Uh, in my sort of last incarnation, uh, I'm leading um, global marketing technology at the JLL. JLL is a very large Fortune 200 company specialized in uh, real estate advisory. Uh, so very much from you know capital markets advisory down to facility management uh, and leasing, mostly in the commercial real estate space. Although we also have, especially here in the UK, uh, a large residential business as well. Uh, so I've, I've been doing different things for JLL uh, before my current role. I was uh, the CMO for the UK and Irish market. And before that, I sort of built and led uh, EMEA and global digital marketing teams. And looking back, I'm, my entire career has been in digital marketing and transformation uh, for companies like Vodafone, uh, Acer. Um, so, yeah, very much excited about this conversation and uh, obviously about the topic of uh, technology and, and change. Yeah, great. Um so, so kicking off, I think um, in terms of your role, your director of global marketing tech, and one, one of the things that we, we spoke about last time, and I think it's an ongoing theme actually, is, is kind of the convergence of the role of the CMO and the CIO. And I wondered, what are your thoughts on that? It, do you see that happening um, more and more? And, and if so, what why is that important 
and and how can that impact positively or if it's not happening how it can impact negatively on the business it'd be good to hear your thoughts about that yeah absolutely well I've, I've been now for a few years actually a strong believer uh in in this convergence and uh, i mean if you look at the signals that are out there in the market uh, uh, just looking at the marketing technology stack, for instance, you can clearly see how it has expanded exponentially over the past few years. There is a LumaScape slide that I always show at, at conferences where you see that marketing technology providers exploded in the last 10 years exponentially in number as well as in categories where they operate. And this has forced uh, the marketing department and the CMO as its leader to really renegotiate their own role within the organization. Uh, so marketing obviously still remains, first and foremost, a creative department that come up, essentially comes up with ideas to sell more products, to understand customers. So there is a very strong, if you want, a humanistic element to the marketing discipline, and that's not going away. But equally, there is now a requirement to really understand the master technology. I, uh, I I also think that if we look back at our sort of conversation just two months ago, when we were talking about this convergence, uh, if I look at the amount of change that has happened just in the last uh, six to eight weeks, you know, with all the news we keep reading about, you know, about generative uh, artificial intelligence, for instance, you really see how really uh, marketeers have to uh, grasp this. And equally, you see how the CIO needs to also converge towards marketing because the CMO and the CIO needs, need to work together to make joint decisions around investments. So there has always been sometimes this sort of tension between marketeers wanting to do a lot of things, trying a lot of technology, and obviously sometimes you know IT sort of pulling the handbrake because they want to ensure no shadow IT structures are created, that uh, technology is sort of uh, safe and secure, which is all very valid concerns. But now you really see that the two uh, departments really need to work hand in hand uh, to achieve uh, uh, speed, which is what marketing and the market wants, but also really leverage in a clever and smart way all the nascent technologies that uh, we see, and uh, especially now in the AI space. Yeah. Do you therefore see the CIO, you almost historically always viewed the CMO as the kind of the voice of the customer. Do you feel then that has really impacted the CIO's kind of view and role, ownership almost, uh, of that customer voice um, within those conversations? So it's framed less around the CMO representing the customer, the CIO, and them delivering the tech solutions. It's very much having to, you know, both roles and departments having to take that customer-centric view from the outset? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think that uh, this is also where the distinction between uh, the CIO and the CTO lies, I believe. The CTO is very much about the technology uh, the, the, and making sure and, and the delivery, really. Uh, whereas I think the CIO it can really partner with the CMO to champion the customer's needs uh, from coming from a technology and data angle. I think yeah. the beauty of the CIO role is that uh, very often it encompasses uh, data as well, and uh, marketeers cannot do their job today without data. So the two really uh, have to work hand in hand, and I believe that uh, although the CMO and the marketing department uh, still remains the premier advocate for the customer, uh, I think also the CIO is now playing a pivotal role. It's not just providing 
the technologies is actually understanding how these journeys uh, and the orchestration of these journeys all work and how technology can augment these journeys yeah exactly and i and i guess also it's quite it's quite interesting in terms of you mentioned generative ai and and starting you know creativity was always something again that you'd say that's the cmos um in terms of implementing creative approaches where with generative ai and and the role that obviously the data and insights the more data-led creativity um combined means again it, it feels like there is much more of a convergence in that space as well absolutely and i think uh Obviously, you can you can look at this two ways. You can be uh, sort of you can feel threatened by these technologies. If you are a copywriter, for instance, uh, you might suddenly feel threatened that uh, uh, sort of language models and generative AIs might be sort of coming for your job. But you can also turn this upside down and actually master the technology and then add on top of it your own creativity. And, uh, and, and and singularity, because at the end of the day, we see that uh, uh, these generative technologies, although incredibly fascinating and definitely, I think, representing an inflection point in uh, the evolution of uh, humankind, uh, still are not really able to come up with radically new ideas. So they are very good at uh, putting together existing ideas and coming up with very credible, very strong answers but they're not necessarily that good yet, at least. And I don't think they will be for a, for a while at actually creating ideas. So as a, from, a, from a copywriting perspective, or if you are a logo designer, for instance, you can actually use technologies like ChatGPT or MidJourney, not to, again, feel threatened, but to add value and accelerate mm -hmm. some portions of the workflow using generative AI, but then adding on top of it, uh, your own creativity and what really makes you as a professional unique. So I think there is a huge, huge opportunity here for the for the whole marketing function to to transform and reinvent itself. Yeah, no, I'd absolutely agree. We've been doing a bit of work with our creative um, committee at the DMA and very much focused on that actually. So not it's not about you know taking over your job. It's actually about perhaps taking over the bits that you were less fussed about doing in the first place, and then really being able to spend your time adding that truly creative angle. Um, so no, it's it's an exciting time, I think, from that perspective. Um, and then talking more to experiences, how do you see technology and, and Martech helping brands really start to create more relevant? We we talk about personalization a lot, and we've talked about it for a long time, haven't we? But but where are we at? How how do you feel Martech's really kind of framing? and delivering true personalization experiences. And I think at scale as well, obviously working in the kind of organization you're in, it is a case of, of, of you know, sheer scale, global scale. Um, what, what role are they playing and how's that working? Yeah, I think this is very interesting because uh, uh, seven years ago, when I sort of started working in the mostly B2B uh, marketing space, I, I came from B2C and in B2C, a lot of these topics around the journey orchestration and personalization uh, were second nature to the most advanced brands. But uh, when I moved into B2B, I, I, I could see that still a lot of the uh, sort of marketing journey really revolved around downloading white papers and offline events, etc. I've seen a dramatic transformation over the past seven years of the, uh, and I now see that B2B is definitely uh, not only caught up, but I, I would argue 
in some instances has even delivered a, a more sophisticated way of truly bringing to life this uh, customized journey, which I think is an imperative because we have seen that uh, following the remoteness of 2020, where all buying journeys happened online because there was no other, no other choice, we can see that uh, these journeys are pretty much remaining uh, online for at least 80% of the process. So there is a recent McKinsey report I read that uh, essentially says that a B2B buyer approaches a brand with already 80% of the research done. And so a brand can really do that, can really impact that 20% once the contact with the user has been established. So what do you do as a brand uh, to influence that, that 80%? That's the challenge. And that's where technology kicks in. We've been talking now for a few years about, for instance, account-based marketing. So being able to really deliver a customized journey, customized content, relevant experiences based on uh, uh, which company you work for. And I think the latest iteration of that is also based on who you are. So it's not just about whether you work for a uh, customer bank or prospect bank is also who are you? Are you the head of facilities? Are you the head of IT? Are you the head of HR? And based on your role, then the content that you are presented, the thought leadership you're exposed to changes. And I think technology is definitely there. I mean, we see a lot again of AI applied to these journeys, which is very new because the challenge with B2B was that we didn't have enough data. So in B2C, we had a huge amounts of data. We could build regression models very easily to predict next actions of, of users. Whereas in B2B, we didn't necessarily have that. But now again, with applied AI, accounts based marketing, et cetera, we're actually able to bring to life these relevant experiences. And we can see that when we have a, a, a sort of a, a journey where we activate this technology, we clearly see an increase in conversion rate as opposed to the more traditional journeys where you know there is the usual uh, uh, you know, quarterly white paper, you need to fill in a form to download it. And that is a little bit old school and doesn't convert as well compared to other more engaging and, and more targeted ways of feeding you the same content, but at the right time and with the right language, et cetera, et cetera. So definitely, I think it's very exciting uh, time for, for B2B marketeers. That's really interesting. Have you, have you seen or have you maybe implemented any yourself kind of campaigns per se that you can talk to just to kind of illustrate what that looks like I think for for people listening um I think all of whenever we talk about this you know and we as a trade association we do a lot of b2b marketing and I think it's it's kind of going from what's possible to to how how you make that happen and and I don't know if you could perhaps talk more to the practical steps of of one how you make that happen. yeah of course so an example perhaps Perhaps. Of course. So we launched during my time when I was leading the UK market, for instance. Uh, so this is now a couple of years ago. We um, uh, identified uh, a, a cohort of top uh, customers and prospects that we identified as producing more than 70% of our top line. So we incorporated all these accounts into what we call the one JLL program. And that meant that we worked very, very closely with research, who obviously is in charge of producing the, the high quality thought leadership that we are known for, uh, business development, who are ultimately responsible for engaging with the leads and uh, generating new business, and us in marketing, who are more, more active upstream. 
So the, the three teams came together under this one JLL umbrella. And one of the things that we did on the digital side was to implement account-based marketing. So we linked, uh, uh, we, we sort of started monitoring all these accounts using ABM technologies. And then we linked uh, what we thought uh, these accounts uh, might be interested in to the content that we had using our taxonomy on the website. And so essentially what happened was that we were able uh, using technologies like demand-based and Adobe Experience Cloud, to name a few, to essentially identify who you uh, belong to from a company perspective as a user once you landed on the website. And then throughout your journey, we would present you only, or let's say firstly, content that we thought you might be interested in. And that was pretty much driven by uh, a tag-based architecture. So for instance, if you are an insurance customer, we would present to you more insurance related thought leadership and then we would start uh, uh, adding up previous behavior so what you engaged with the most the last time you came on the website etc so the essentially the the recommendation engine got better and better because it started as a simple segmentation if you want a tagging exercise nothing not, not, not rocket science but then starting from that base we kept iterating and uh, elevating the, the sophistication of the recommendation based on uh, your and your peers' engagement with the content. So we could always recommend the best and, the, and the, the, the best content possible. So that's how an example, how we sort of started driving the, these experiences. And then more recently, we implemented uh, uh, conversational marketing technologies that really changed the game because allowed us to engage in real time with uh, with the users during the journey so rather than waiting for the for the user to raise their hand and say hey you know i i want to get in touch with the jll consultant we proactively engage with the user but again in a in a contextual and uh, mindful way rather than you know just showing a pop-up uh, after five minutes of inactivity we 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 were uh, sort of mindful of where the where the user was in the journey and we will propose an engagement opportunity only at the right time so conversational marketing this is, this is quite an interesting one how, how are you defining that per se as a term because it's a term we're hearing you know we hear a lot of how how what's what's your definition yeah that's that's a very good question i think there are i would say sort of many sort of possible definitions uh, to me is really an approach to marketing that uh, fosters a two-way personalized communication uh, between business and customer and that is enabled by real-time messaging that real-time messaging then in our case is a true is, is a two-pronged strategy so it's a real-time messaging via an ai driven chatbot mm -hmm. but it can also be uh, real-time messaging with a live agent, which is what we find uh, this hybrid approach uh, sort of the best, the best solution. Because essentially, by predicting your lifetime value as a prospect or as an existing customer, I can then decide as a marketeer whether I want to invest the the, the money and really put you in touch straight away with a human or whether uh, if I think you are a mid to low value customer, I can actually try to deflect that engagement and provide you with a, a personal touch or information using generative AI technologies. 
Um, so I think that is really powerful. It's the uh, it's the idea of bringing the brand to life essentially, and uh, and allowing people to interact uh, on a very specific topic. You know, I'm interested in debt advisory. You know, I need uh, to sell uh, this property in, in my portfolio. Can you help me? And uh, rather than just directly link you with uh, a salesperson, we can actually slice and dice your need, asking pertinent questions through an AI uh, driven chatbot. And then only when we essentially we we almost qualify the lead through AI, and then we pass on the lead to the sales team with already all these pre pre screening questions mm -hmm. asked and answered. Um, so I think it's indeed very powerful. But I think that the obviously the the, the devil lies in the details in the sense that you need to balance uh, empathy, for instance, making sure that mm -hmm. you do not lose uh, that personal touch and the brand voice because uh, i mean everybody who has played with chat gpt after a while realizes that uh, sometimes it falls a little bit on deaf or a little bit repetitive in the in the way it formulates answers etc so you need to make sure as a brand uh, that you incorporate uh, the tone of voice in the way answers are generated and also as i said you also need to make sure that you know if a fund manager from a large pension fund comes in, you don't want that person to chat with an AI. You want to recognize that individual with high value opportunity and connect that individual straight away to a human. Both pathways are conversational marketing, but the way you bring it to life is obviously very different depending on, on the projected value. Yeah, exactly. And I and, and it's really interesting you talking about kind of almost that authentic voice that you, you just it's really important you don't lose. Um, so again, it almost goes back to the point we started with, isn't it, in terms of that convergence of, you know, ensuring that you've got that kind of clear, creative um, voice, tone of um, tone of voice, messaging um, coming through loud and clear. And then how, how do you go about in terms of the transparency piece? Because obviously, you know, you say you're higher value customers, you want to kind of almost escalate up to um, a, an in-person conversation or a, a real person conversation, I should say. Um, how how are, you, are you very clear that earlier on in the process, it's, it's a machine, not a person? Or, or or is that something you, how do you get around that? Because I think that's always something that people grapple with, that they want to be very transparent about how they're using technology to manage and customer expectations more than anything. But equally, you know, you don't want to mislead people as well. So, so how do you manage that? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's uh, we have transparent. Short answer is that we obviously tell our users whether they are talking to uh, essentially a robot or whether they're talking to a human. Uh, I remember very well when I implemented, for instance, Toby, the digital assistant, uh, the digital assistant that is embedded in the My Vodafone app. When during my time at Vodafone, we had exactly the same challenge that uh, we had to be super transparent, and which is why we called it Toby, because we really wanted users to understand. You know, you're chatting to this assistant, you know, called Toby, which is virtual. You're not talking to a live agent in our consensus. So my recommendation to brands is always to be fully transparent. Uh, we see every day what the backlash is when you are not. Like very recently, Snapchat has integrated conversational AI into their application. And uh, if you ask their conversational AI, do you know where I am? The answer is no, as a conversational AI cannot access your location data. But then if you ask the same uh, tool, uh, can you find uh, a good pizza place near me? Then the tool gives you lots of very relevant and <laughs> local recommendations, which clearly show that actually the tool knows where you are. So 
and these things are very bad for 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 brand perception so i think you need very to be very open and i think it's also not just the right thing to do but the smart thing to do because we still know we know very well that these technologies still have a degree of uh, a sort of error that is that is mm -hmm. not negligible and sometimes you know the in the jargon is you know they say you know the, the chatbot has been hallucinating meaning that was sort of saying very strange and uh, odd things wrong things sometimes and the, and the, you need to set to to level with your user that you're not talking to a human you're talking to our uh, in sort of ai assistance and this also helps if the assistance makes made, makes a mistake you have set the expectation uh, at the right level if you instead try to uh, sort of simulate you're talking to a human uh, then the user will be uh, won't, won't forgive you know that you told uh, you try to deceive them and uh, you return the completely false or uh, wrong answer yeah and that that kind of goes back to something we did talk about the future of martech is that you know martech is always is seen as a kind of an implementation or some well often can be seen it shouldn't be an implementation of facilitating marketing when actually you know it really does need kind of that buy-in at a board level where the values of an organization then transcend how that technology is used and implemented um and how you know key decision makers have visibility on what could be potentially ethical decisions or values-driven decisions in how technology behaves, um, which at the end of the day, the human is in charge of. So it's quite interesting, I think, in terms of the frameworks that organizations can be setting up through use of data, the use of tech, um, to ensure that their company values and what they're setting out at the top does does transcend the marketing. I don't know, is there anything at JLL that you, that you have to kind of almost almost guardrails to to ensure that it doesn't go off piste? Yes, I mean this is a pilot and so we have placed uh, very specific and narrow guardrails both in terms of uh, the scope of uh, these interactions which have sort of sort of siloed by almost business line and very specific journeys. Uh, so you cannot ask anything about JLL. It's very specific about the journey that uh, is geared towards conversion. So it's all about a booking and a meeting with one of our advisors, uh, getting a faster access to white papers. Uh, so that's the way we have sort of managed risk by defining very clear, very narrow use cases, learn from these and then gradually expand. Uh, yeah. But yeah, absolutely. This has been a, a sort of forefront at the very beginning. We didn't want to risk uh, brand reputation at any point. Yeah. The the other thing, um, you know, going back to the boardroom that, that that we're talking about a lot at the moment, particularly is marketing budgets are under pressure and the CFO is kind of questioning projects and the worth of tech, the worth of marketing um, is measurement and kind of proof of ROI. Now, obviously, you know, Digital adoption requires investment, um, but the, the CFO is almost commanding returns as soon as possible. So how do you go about ensuring that these initiatives really do achieve a positive ROI? And, then, and, how, and how do you frame that? How do you report that back to, to show, show that ROI, essentially? Yeah, this is absolutely right. I mean, this has been, I mean, having led several transformation initiatives uh, uh, sort of taught me that uh, you need to focus uh, 
uh, even more on people than, than than you do on technology. And that they usually you tend to put all your focus on the technology, into implementing, selecting it, implementing it, integrating it, and then uh, two years, three years down the line, you realize that uh, you know what's the ROI, you know, and you don't have the metrics in place. You don't, or maybe you even have people falling off, uh, colleagues not using the technology that you have spent so much money on. So uh, what I'm very, very passionate about is people management, change management in general. So how do you lift and shift entire populations of employees from one technology, one process to another? And I've seen that uh, uh, using, for instance, digital adoption platforms uh, can really uh, sort of turn the tide here. And these technologies allow you essentially to do all the things you mentioned. So you can uh, accelerate onboarding uh, on the new technology you can ensure that users don't fall off over time. And if they do, they provide a fantastic refresher platform. So instead of having to uh, force users through the learning and development platform to attend a number of webinars, again, you have everything embedded on the digital adoption platform and they can very simply sort of rejoin the group of employees that are actually digitally literate and they know how to use the technology. And the final point to your to your initial question is really around measurement, because these technologies allow you to measure how many people are using the technologies that you are introduced. What's the impact of these technologies? You know, and uh, to answer your questions in conversation with the CFO, because we are being challenged as as many brands are at the moment. You know, what's the value of all of this? And the answer is you need to have a story that shows line to revenue. So for every line of the marketing technology stack. I build a story as to what is that particular line of uh, expenditure bringing to the top line or the bottom line, because sometimes obviously some technologies are about efficiency, not, not just about growth. Mm -hmm. And you need to have that story. And in order to have the story, you need to have uh, benchmarks and you need to set your metrics before you launch the technology. If you wait until after you have implemented the technology, then you won't have anything to compare the benefits of the technology and it be, suddenly becomes all again opinion-led anecdotally driven decision making so you need to set the metrics before i usually start like at least six months before implementing a new tech i start measuring everything using the metrics i know we will use after the implementation then we implemented the technology we drive adoption through the ap platforms and then uh, using the same metrics we can we show the delta and we can so show how this is impacting uh revenue uh, and, and it's difficult because sometimes, especially when we're talking about revenue, you, sometimes you need to integrate with finance systems, the invoicing platform to really show how much you have, you know, how to, in order to allow you to attribute the effort, uh, in, 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 at least in part, uh, to a marketing uh, expenditure. So it's, it's difficult, but it's the only way to protect your marketing technology stack uh, from being sort of, you know, cut down uh, when, when sort of budget cuts come. Yeah, that's great advice. And it's something that we're seeing more and more. We've, we've been doing a lot of work around kind of meaningful measurement and kind of speaking the language of the boardroom. And it's exactly that is to, you know, while within marketing teams, it's interesting to see what I think we're often dubbing as the vanity metrics. So the interaction points, the volume of people coming through, um, the impacts you're having there, but actually the bottom line stats on how you're impacting business performance is what really counts. So if we can start reframing the discussion around marketing to 
to show and um, you know show the impact of that, we're going to have a much um, more constructive conversation, and 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 the value of marketing is going to be seen um, in a whole different light. I think at that board level table. Um, I, th I think we've got time for one other question, Francesca. And I wanted you know, to round us off. You know, you you're at the forefront of driving marketing transformation, um, implementing um, tech stacks and the like. What what would be kind of your, I don't know, if one takeaway for those listening in terms of how to to really drive success? And it might it might actually be a point. You see, you've made lots of these points already, actually. So there might be one overriding piece of advice for for people listening to the podcast in terms of of how to um, really drive success through Martech. Well, I think the first thing is to, uh, as always, start small, start with a pilot. So I identify uh, a clear business pain point. So my advice is not to start from something that nobody would, would care about. I've done that a few times in my career where I implemented something fantastic that was super cheap, delivered fantastic business results, but nobody really cared about it. So you need to start from uh, not only small, but also on something that is, that is going to be noticed. That's that's my number one advice. You know, solve a, a, a highly visible, painful business problem, but but solve it in a sort of small bites, and then you start growing from there. Make sure that you implement a, a solution that can scale. Don't solve the problem with uh, uh, like you know uh, open source uh, solutions that IT will never allow you to scale across the organization, etc. So focus on something that uh, can help you scale at enterprise level, but start small so that you can demonstrate uh, very quickly what is the value that you're bringing. And to your previous point about measurement, that is super important, especially in a pilot phase, you need to protect. Uh, the new always needs to be protected, you know, in an organization as in business, you know, something that is radically new is, uh, is, is, is really something that is sort of fragile and needs to be protected. And the best way to protect it is by ensuring that you are agreeing with the board, with, the, with your decision makers, you're agreeing on what success look like, what metrics are you going to look at, and then measuring it since the inception of the pilot. So you can demonstrate uh, that although yes, in a controlled environment, it was just a small pilot, but we got, I don't know, 100% increase in conversion rate. So what if we are now expanding this, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, for me, it's really about being relevant to your business, being relevant to your stakeholders. I think for instance, stakeholder mapping helps a lot to make sure you're solving the problem of someone within your organization that uh, can become then your ambassador once the pilot works, can become your, your sort of, uh, door opener to expand uh, and then measure so you can uh, win over the skeptics not just because you have top-down support from the ambassador but also because you have numbers and data that prove that your pilot has worked yeah that's great advice um as has all the conversation i think covered some really really good um expert tips there so thank you so much francesco it's been lovely chatting to you again and um hopefully we'll get to catch up again soon yeah i'd love to thank you very much